When Eloise was in grade five, she wrote an autobiography. And in it, she described the impact she hoped to have on the world. In the future, I would like to stop homelessness and communism. (laughs) Communism is a horrible end sentence. (laughs) If I couldn't cure homelessness without communism, I would like to help a few homeless people without communism. That's Eloise reading her hopes for the future. I'm Dan Meisner, and this, this right now, is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. How are you doing tonight? It's very, very nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at the Rec Room in South Edmonton, we have A First Kiss by the Lake, a cautionary tale about shoplifting, a revenge fantasy, and much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and by looking back at this stuff, it can help us understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. When Anna was 17, she had her first kiss. And when she wrote about it in her journal, she included a lot of detail. We get the full timeline, including conversations leading up to the kiss and all of the kiss aftermath. (laughs) It's an exploration of physical boundaries. Please welcome Anna to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids stage. Journal. Oh my word. You will never, ever believe what happened tonight. I don't even believe it myself. I don't know how to feel, what to think, how in the world this all came about. Well, I bet you're dying to know what happened. (laughs) Tonight, I worked at Kelsey's, and then Noah picked me up because we'd planned to hang out. I proposed we go to my favorite little lake near my house. So we drove there, he parked his van, his parents' van, and we walked hand in hand down to the lake. We sat there and stared across the beautiful, beautiful pond. The sun was setting behind us, sending this amazing, orangey, reddy, purpley hue over the lake. We sat there cuddled and talking. He held me so tight, interlocking fingers. My legs were kind of over his, his arms wrapped around me. I don't know, we were just really cuddling. (laughs) He kept softly kissing my head, temple, ear, cheek, neck, kind of just nuzzling up against me. I finally jokingly said, I've never been kissed so much in my life. And he replied so softly, but I'm just too shy to kiss you on the lips. (laughs) After a short pause, I said, yeah, I'm shy too, but maybe sometime. Noah looked at me and said, how about in 10 seconds? (laughs) Then yeah, it just happened. I turned my head and we were kissing. The first one was just slightly longer than a peck, and he just went back for more, and I responded. It was definitely a longer kiss. He opened his mouth a bit. We pulled away for maybe five seconds, and then he's like, that wasn't hard enough. And we kissed again, <laughs> a little more intensely. I just remember it felt like he was such a good kisser. He opened his lips and worked them around mine. <laughs> I felt like I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> 
I hoped it felt as good for him as it did for me. We pulled away, and all I remember clearly from those first two kisses were they felt kind of wet, but not gross or slobbery at all. And then Noah's nose started to bleed, just a little bit. (laughs) You'd probably think it completely ruined the moment, but not really at all. (laughs) It only bled a tiny bit. We walked back to the van and started driving and talking about the kissing. Ha ha. He said he was so happy that he felt shaky and trembly. He drove with one hand and held my other hand. The country music played. (laughs) But he didn't seem himself, and he almost started to look sad. I was completely honest and asked if I was a bad kisser and if he was disappointed. Noah smiled and said, I'd have to work on it. But seriously, he said, of course, I didn't disappoint him. (laughs) Then he said, I just want to kiss you again. So he parked on the side of the road and we kissed again. Each time we both opened our mouths a little more and I felt like he wasn't the only one doing stuff this time. (laughs) Then I told Noah, we still actually needed to talk about the future. I told him I needed a bit of space for the next month so I could focus on school. And and he totally agreed to back off, not sure if he really will. And I told him I wasn't ready to be committed when I left for university. He didn't say much to that. Then we just kept driving, and each time we passed the turn to my house, we just kept going. Neither of us wanted him to drop me off. Well, I just realized then how much I loved kissing, and we stopped again and parked. then I guess it's safe to say we kind of made out. This one, we really went at it. He's such a good kisser. He used his tongue in everything and pushed his lips hard and used his teeth a little. I tried to push back and I worked my lips more and I turned my head away for one second, but then I realized I wanted more and turned right back. Man, I feel awful saying this. So naughty. But it just happened. I even told Noah as we pulled away from the spot that I never imagined my first kiss would be so intense. Journal, I know this must all sound horrible and scandalous. (laughs) But it just happened. And after, we both talked about how amazingly comfortable we felt. Oh, and I forgot to mention that at one point, we kind of talked about boundaries. Not very well. We really need to be clear on those. But anyways, he said he had (laughs) self-control. Then we finally parked in the driveway and we both got out. Right as we got to the front steps, Noah grabbed to stop me and almost breathlessly said, one more, Anna. As I said no and began to pull away, he seemed so desperate and begged, please, please, one more. I really pulled away then and he's like, wow, sorry, I'm like an animal. (laughs) I kind of just smiled. I honestly loved that he wanted me that bad. (laughs) Anyways, I hugged him goodnight and that was that. So there you are, journal. I had my first kiss on a bench at sunset overlooking the lake. Then we hardcore kissed at multiple stops around the neighborhood, (laughs) which probably wasn't the best idea, but I don't regret it because it kind of felt amazing. The end. Growing up is all about change, and when you're a kid, one of the biggest changes you can face is moving to a new place. 
When our next reader, Kelly, was in grade five, her family moved from a town called Kalmar to a town called Devon. Now, Kalmar and Devon are pretty close. It's about a 10-minute drive between the two. But to Kelly, who was 10 years old at the time, the move was a really big deal. And as a way of dealing with her feelings, Kelly decided to write a letter to her future self. Please welcome Kelly to our stage. Dear future me, I have often wondered about my future life, especially lately with the move going on. To tell you the truth, you are my greatest fear, you being the future. (laughs) You're always there, lurking in the back of my weary mind. (laughs) I wonder if I shall be the bully, or the bully's friend, or even the poor, helpless kid that the bully steals lunch money from. My fear is so bad that I often think of you for hours on end, and I try to run, run away from reality. (laughs) This move, although scary, has helped me appreciate my friends who brighten up my rainy days and comfort me when weary at soul and at mind. These dedicated people are Casey, Nicole, Alyssa, Kristen, Danielle, Megan, Megan, James, and Sarah. I also catch myself wondering about Devon and the kids that roam its mud-caked sidewalks. (laughs) School, on the other hand, is a place that I can relax and be with friends while also doing exceptionally well. (laughs) While on the topic of school, I'd like to mention that I got a slip today notifying that I'm going to be receiving an award this Wednesday as it will be my final day of school. I am going to treasure this summer with all my heart and waste not one minute, for it shall be my last summer in Kalmar. (laughs) I will miss looking out onto the field and playing with tons of people I didn't even go with and going anywhere I wish and being able to say hello to everyone. That sold sign placed on our front lawn gives me an uneasy feeling and makes a tear trickle down my frost-cold cheek in the dead of summer. (laughs) Your past and your future, Kelly Bennett. After the show, I asked Kelly what it was like to reread that letter to herself years later. I guess it was nice that it prompted me to think back um, I think about who I was at that time and what had changed. Um, it also made me feel a little sad to know that um, those were real feelings and I was so scared about the future and uh, what moving to a new town would be like. Um, but in a way, also nice because, you know, now that I'm older, I know that everything turned out pretty okay. Uh, so comforting in a way too, I guess. A big part of growing up is challenging authority, understanding what the rules are, and in some cases, breaking those rules. When Laura was 12, 
She went to a department store and she stole some lip gloss and a bracelet. And afterwards, Laura had an incredibly guilty conscience. So she went home and typed up a letter of warning all about this theft. I asked Laura, who did you write this letter to? She says, I'm not entirely sure, but we're gonna hear it tonight. Please welcome to our stage, Laura. Um, So this was written in grade seven. I, I don't know who I wrote it to because the envelope I found it on said, private, do not read, so I don't know <laughs> who I meant it for, but I opened it and read it, and it said, hello, my name is Laura. I have curly brown hair that sometimes looks nice, <laughs> but usually looks like a mop. I have two little sisters, age nine and age three, and both of them have, since they were born, been pests. I don't know what that, What my life is like, I won't talk about. You'll have to find that out yourself. <laughs> to take or not to take. <laughs> I had just met Tanya, who was in grade nine, while I was 12 and in grade seven. We were shopping and having a good time, too, when suddenly, horrors, we both ran out of money. <laughs> At fr- At first, running out of money didn't seem to affect us much until we came to the lip glosses. They costed only $3. The only problem was that we didn't have $3. We should take one, I said jokingly. That was the worst mistake of my whole entire life. You want to, she asked. I, like an idiot, shrugged and said, yes. We then very sneakily took two lip glosses. Later on, we also took two bracelets. Woe to me. I thought it was fun. Well, I thought I could live through the blasted nagging of my conscience. I even told lies to my mom. By the way, mom, did you see the bracelet Gordy gave me? Easy as pie. (laughs) You see, I had never lied to her before, and she trusted me totally. This might have been just fine and dandy with me if I weren't a Christian. Yep, a Christian. Shocks you, doesn't it? (laughs) A religious girl? Stealing? Never. There must be some mistake. Now, I know you wouldn't say that, but that's how I imagined it, and I really hoped that there had been some mistake. Well, I lived through the nagging of my blasted conscience, but I didn't live through my shame. I knew God was either mad at me or else sobbing over me. (laughs) Probably both. So, shaking like a stupid leaf, 
I confessed. Mom understood, but you know what we'll have to do, don't you? What? I sobbed. Return them. I was scared out of my brains. Return them? No way. I couldn't do it. So the very next time I babysat, six of my eight precious dollars were put into an envelope along with an apology letter put on the Woodward store manager's desk. I'll never forget that. I hope you'll never have to forget that. (laughs) And that someone can learn from my mistake. Your friend, Laura. Our next reader, Marika, shared a piece of short fiction she wrote when she was 11. It's a story all about a man named Jeremiah. But she says she had no idea how to spell the name Jeremiah, so it changes quite a lot. (laughs) And what you need to know about Jeremiah in this story is that he sees his ex-girlfriend with a new guy. And we'll find out what happens next. She says it gets dark for an 11-year-old, and it is fully illustrated, so ask to see the illustrations during the break. Please welcome to our stage, Marika. There's no title, it just has parts. So part one, the witness story. Um, Also, I didn't know how to spell, so I'll just read it as I spelt everything in here. Order. Order in the court, said the Jude. (laughs) I was a witness, a witness of a murder. It all started when Mercus Sunbury asked Meredith Rosemary out on a date. The two were out for a movie. They went to see the Phantom of the Opera. Everything on the date went fine until Meredith's ex-boyfriend found out his little blonde-haired green-eyed girl was going out with my buddy, the wannabe. They called Marcus the wannabe because he's always trying to play or learn football. (laughs) When Marcus plays football, he looks like a rag doll, trying to stay upright as he runs, trying to catch a slippery, slimy ball. (laughs) I even sometimes have to admit he's not your everyday athletic guy. Part two, sweet revenge. (laughs) Jeremiga Penting. You have been accused of murder and temptation of murder, (laughs) said the Jude. It's true. I did commit murder. It all happened when one day I had been coming home from party. I was drunk. As I got in taxi bringing me home across the street, I I say, Marcus, that wannabe, kiss my girl. 
And what made me even more mad was that she kissed him right back. (laughs) Mr. Pentine, wasn't she your ex-girlfriend, said the Jude? Well, yeah, I guess. But that's just because she wanted to be more free. (laughs) When I saw that kiss, I could swear my eye turned fiery red. (laughs) Jeremiga Pentine, said the Jude. After you saw Marcus kiss Meredith, what did you do? Well, I decided that to handle this situation, (laughs) I would have to feel more confident. I took out my bottle of... I don't really know what it was, but it sure made me drunk. (laughs) I drank the whole bottle. Soon the world was blurry, and I didn't know what I was doing. Before I knew it, there was a dead body in front of me, and Meredith was crying and screaming. Marcus's buddy John came running up to me, and I tied to hurt him, but just ended up knocking him cold out. Then I went home and fainted. (laughs) I woke up with a painful headache. I remembered the incident last night. I knew that I had done wrong, very wrong. I had been so drunk. I called the police and told what I had done. That was a good thing, telling the police, said the Jude. Like I say, I was drunk. Meredith Rosemary... (laughs) You saw your boyfriend, Jeremiga Penting, commit murder. Yes, it all happened so fast. I had wanted Marcus Sunbury to ask me out for years. And when it came to my first kiss with the man I wished of, I knew that Jeremiga was out of the picture. When Jeremiga came at Marcus, I could tell he was drunk. His face looked blank. Marcus dodged Jeremiga's first punch, but then he got hit, And then I tried to block the second and third punch, but then I got hit hard enough that my shaky legs gave way and I fell to the ground knocked out. (laughs) Meredith, said the Jude, can you tell us about any other thing that might have triggered Jeremiga to kill Marcus? (laughs) Well, I know that Jeremiga had a short temper and anger problems. The end. When you're a teenager, it can be stressful to ask somebody out on a date. But it can also be really stressful to be the one asked out on a date. When our next reader, Sally, was in junior high, she kept a diary. And at our Edmonton show, she shared an entry from a particularly stressful day. Dear Diary, this could easily be classified as one of the worst days in the history of my diary. Okay, so it was good until about halfway through the pith fear fifth period of the day, math. There was approximately 28 students sitting, working on adding on subtracting integers. My teacher was like, if anyone needs an explanation as to why we convert the last two integers, come to see me. So about 12 students go up to the desk. 
This includes me and Sophie, my friend who sits next to me. So no one's at the desk and table that we sit at. So me and Sophie go back to our desk, and there's a beautiful JK, just a normal piece of lined paper that I kind of wished I hadn't read. It was from Conrad. (laughs) To me, and he asked if I would go to the dance Christmas with him. This is where it gets stinkish. Well, there it was. I could feel my cheeks burning like someone had put a match to them. And I had to put my answer, yes, no, or tell you later. (laughs) So what could I do? There was this half-depressed guy sitting three tables in front of me waiting for a response. And that was it. I felt like I had dissolved into nothing. He's the first guy to ever ask me out. Now would be a good time to say dun-dun-dun, but please try to stay on topic. So I circled no, and at the bottom I wrote, Conrad, thanks for the invite, but I'd really rather go with a group of friends. Sorry, Sally. (laughs) And then everyone found out, don't ask how, just believe it. And as soon as I told them I said no, they started pestering to go. Here's what they said. Renault, you should go with him. No one else will ask you. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Renault. Matt, you should go to the dance with him. It's the first time you've gone to the dance, and I feel sorry for him. You're such a good friend. (laughs) Pretty much anyone else who knew asked me what I said. I said, no, you freaks, now shut up. (laughs) So then I gave him the note, and what I heard was a sniff, and he walked away without another word. And from then on, everything just got worse. My MP3 is broken, my agenda's missing, and my pen is running out of ink. What did I do wrong, God? I said no, but so did Danica and like three other girls, but I don't think that this happened to them. Well, I guess that's all. Pray for a better day. Good night, Sally. Edmonton, that has been Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Huge round of applause for all of the readers. So, so good. Thank you to Ryan for doing sound tonight. Thank you to Craig and everybody here at the Rec Room. Thank you to my wife, Jenna. Thank you to me, Dan Meisner. Stick around, say hello, get home safe, then dig up your own kid writing. We'll see you soon. Good night. started to bleed just a little bit. (laughs) 